Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Adventures in Isochronology, where we watch the Ecclesia wake up from her history in real time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Ben Lawrence and Matthew Miller. It's good to be with you this week as we dive ever deeper into isochronology. This week, I'm not sure where we're going to go. One thing I do know, the chapter that we're headed to, oh my goodness, it contains a wealth of information. But, uh, Ben, what's your opening comments on this week's episode? I really didn't ever get past the first uh, word <laughs> when I was trying to prep uh, uh, for this episode. Um, so what does that tell you? <laughs> that tells me we're going to go extremely deep or we're not going to get very far. That's for sure. Uh <laughs> And that's probably got people quite stumped because um, nobody ever talks about this. They never discuss this chapter. It, it's completely and absolutely irrelevant to them, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, Ben, we we have to come to grips with most churches today on our side of the planet, i.e. Mundus Novus. They don't even talk about the Old Testament, um, especially at church. They only basically do the New Testament. So, um, boy, they're missing a whole lot. And a lot of them that you ask, they don't even realize that they are supposed to be a child of the promise. So it makes you wonder where they think they fit in in the, well, grandiose schemata that... God has created here. I mean, it makes you really do wonder if they know their place in all of this. And to me, it would seem that they would be quite hollow if they didn't. Um, and if they never thought of that, that they actually have a place in the body of Christ, they have a body of place in what is to come, they have a, <laughs> they have a place in the Lord's temple. Uh, all those things, it it makes you wonder how they couldn't get depressed if they didn't know all of this. Or, on the other side of that coin, does it mean that these things are not relevant to them at all? And if they're not relevant, well, I think that says something else about their Christianity. But, your thoughts? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of places you can go with that. Um uh, what what I can say is is that um, it it's almost like studying 
nuclear physics. Uh, you know, they they run things through the, the those colliders, those those electron colliders, and every time they do it, they discover a new particle, and then they'll go and do some calculations, and they'll figure out that the way this happened and that happened, there there has to be something else there, and literally, that's how the Word of God is. I mean, you could spend all of eternity and constantly discover something new. That is right. And this course of which you speak, most people think that they can find fulfillment. That is a gross understatement because it's amazing how the more time you spend in it, the greater your capacity, i.e., somehow your volume increases and you wind up with more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And, Ben, this is common knowledge. If you put yourself to the Bible, God's holy word, you will get smarter. There's no way around it. It's just a natural function. It's a natural processes. And many people don't know that. I would I would agree uh, when you when even when you go to the uh, when you go to the educational circles um, many of the people that they <clears throat> point out to um, were biblical scholars uh, at some at some level Isaac Newton um, you know as an example uh, these these people spent an enormous amount of time in God's word and. As a result, it uh, rewires your brain in a particular kind of way to recognize patterns and information, which is helps you to begin to see what it is that you're supposed to see. Well, you are absolutely correct, and it amazes me that people don't know um, the extent that 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 actually carries and they don't realize that uh, oh my goodness uh, even Tesla your the words you use there um, wired you know Tesla is most known for of course electrifying the world's fair using alternating current you have to come to grips with the simple fact that his dad was a preacher and his dad knew that their last name, Tesla, was in the book of Job. The very chapter that describes exactly what he did at the World's Fair. Now, <clears throat> most people that completely blows them away, but Tesla knew a whole lot more than one might think about the Bible, God's Holy Word. So, there's just a couple, Sir Isaac Newton and Tesla himself. Uh, absolutely amazing uh, what can be accomplished just digesting his word or trying to process his word. Uh, the only way that can happen, it well, is with increased synaptic usage. It's the only way it can happen. Uh, and it's sad that people don't realize that. What well, is the perfect way to train up a child in the way they should go? Because uh, 
you know, I run into it all the time around here uh, with my daughter. Uh, we will read the Bible together, and she's at the point now where every little word she's hanging on it and wondering why that word was used. And, you know, just the other day we were reading Luke, the second chapter, and she's like, Daddy, that sounds like Revelation chapter 12. And I said, you're right, it does, because it, it is all about, um, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 2. And she was saying, that sounds like Revelation chapter 12. And I said, you're right, it does, because it is all about that. And it, um, paying attention to those little details and not just sanding them out, but actually exploring them and understanding them. They're there for a reason. They're, my, they're marker stones, and that's really the whole point behind isochronal eschatology is for us to recognize these markers so that we can begin to understand where we are. Uh, this whole thing just wraps around itself over and over and over again, and the way you line it up is by looking for those markers and lining them up and getting them square, and when you do, you begin to have a framework by which you can look at everything else. Well, I couldn't put that better myself. You're absolutely correct, and it does fit together, and they are like cogs in a wheel that is a part of a gear system. I mean, it's just like opening up an old clock and looking at it work. It's absolutely amazing in not only its structure, its function, but just in its very existence, how that functioning operates and and works with perfect synchronicity. It is breathtaking. Uh, that's the only way I can put it. Ben, is it is breathtaking? Amen. And it's a uh, it's a it's a blessing to. Um, it's a blessing uh, for him to share those things with you because he doesn't cast pearls before swine. So the fact that he uh, will let you wonder at his words um, because he can use whatever word he wants and for you to wonder at them the way that someone else wonders about the baseball score or about, um, you know, why so-and-so got kicked off the Island this week. Um, is truly a gift. It is a gift. It is. And with that in mind, which chapter shall be a gift unto us for this program? So Genesis 16, um, and, um, you know, this this starts off with, um, well, I guess I can just read this, the first stanza here in is the ESV okay, okay or which is another version you'd like me to read it out of? No, that's just fine for me. Okay. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You would think that there's not a whole lot there. You would think that this is just the end of the matter. Um, but take note that the promise was delivered into the hands of Sarai. Now, we're not to the Sarah yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not there yet. So this is pre-rename. This is pre-redesignation. And that makes you take pause. But we have strife that enters in here. And that's what we need to kind of take a look at. And boy, um, what do you think was going on? Why do you think these things were stated? Why do you think these things happened? Why do you think the word despised ever came up, Ben? Well, I, I you know, if you just if you just back up your lens and move back, you're going to see that these events are literally, I mean, th this is literally um, a type of what happens with Job, right? I mean, and you could say this is literally what you see in Revelation with the with the church, um, because she was uh, Hagar was uh, was afflicted, and she eventually uh, flees, which is what you literally see there in Revelation 12. But we know that the manner in which you judge, you you will be judged, and uh, right here by the actions of Sarai. She memorializes that as a judgment for uh, her children. She's memorializing it. Yes, she is, and she offers up a threat to Abraham. You know, may the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham steps back and says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's your servant, and she's in your hands. It just... Uh, it takes you by surprise. Uh, why do you think Abram said that? Why do you think Abram stepped back from this? Uh, I don't know what you would call it, but he obviously knew uh, this situation was pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I've I've wondered about that myself. Why why did he choose to? Um, handle it that way. I mean, with Lot in the situation with the herdsmen, he took responsibility and he literally separated them, right? Here, he told Sarai, yeah, you do what you want to about it. Now, the funny thing is, is, well, what she decides to do. When at this point, you realize she could have kept a child. Right. 
Ladies and gentlemen, did nobody ever bring that up to you? Abraham was, well, Abram was very cunning in what he said. Oh, I'm I'm not a part of this. I'm, I'm, I'm bowing out of this fight. She's in your hands. If Sarai was truly ill-despised toward Hagar, she would have kept the child and sent the mother away. But that's not what happened. She sent them both away. So it's obvious that Sarai was truly concerned that something was going to come up and perhaps her own child was going to be in danger from this maidservant and her offspring. Now, we know in historical context, Ben, that would have been exactly the case. And I do mean exactly. Just take Herod, for example, or even Alexander the Great. Uh, if you were the apparent heir to the throne, you were in grave danger from day one. Literally, from day one. So, what do you think about Sarah's choice? Well, I said it incorrectly again. Sarai's choice. What do you think about her choice? And do you think this weighs in on the fact that she would be redesignated? Yeah, it certainly um, it certainly is a good point. What what would Abram have done if Sarai had uh, gone for the child? What would his response have been? So, you infer that he would have reneged and got involved when he just stated, "She's in your hands. Do whatever you want." Well, you can just use his own words. Um, in previous chapters to um, or in uh, coming up you can you, you'll see that you know his response to Sodom and Gomorrah that you know the he he makes it clear Abram makes it clear that the innocent is is not to be harmed I mean he goes I mean it's clear in that whole discourse with with the Lord that he's not comfortable Amen. And yet he proceeds to continue to plead and make a case for the innocent uh, in that whole discourse. Well, I, I agree. Uh, I certainly do agree. And, you know, with, with that being said, he obviously realized that, well, we already know that it had already been accredited to him as righteousness. We already know that. Amen. So he already knew the ramifications of, well, his involvement with this promise. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He was like, look, whatever's going to come to pass is going to come to pass. Whatever will be is going to be. And it seems like to me that because of that, he had a hint. He knew nothing was going to happen to that child. He knew it. Now, he didn't know how God was going to protect that child, but he knew <laughs> that the child would be protected because, take note, the promise was and did not include Sarai. 
You just, you just have to come to grips with that. God said, no, your heir will come from your own body. Remember? Right. He didn't say anything about who the wife was. Right. So now we're into a different phase. Now we realize what is truly going on. Well, and to your point, um, when he packed up the donkey and the wood and the knife and took Isaac, um, he had that same understanding. Even unto death, he, he had that same understanding, that, that same reckoning in his mind. Uh, because he was going to go up there and, well, he was going to uh, sacrifice the child just like God uh, said. And he was thinking to himself, well, God can raise the dead. Right. And that's where the rubber really hits the road. I mean, so we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that, well, Abram must have been laughing to himself. Oh, you, you two knuckleheads can do whatever you want to do. That child came from my own body, and the Lord God of hosts has made promises concerning those that come from my body. Amen. So taking, you know, a lot of people don't investigate. They don't, you know, look at this chapter as it truly starts out. Because you're right, it starts out with a single word. Sarai. Now, what did you find out about that word? Because uh, it's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, the uh, the spelling there, a vav is is attached to it, uh, which has a value of six, and it's used a total of thirty times in scriptures um, throughout the Old and the New Testament, and um, it uh, shows up in. Very interesting chapters. There's a, a whole lot of discourse there in Chronicles in particular where it's it's literally um, used where it's the organization of the priests, the organization of the musicians, the organization of gatekeepers, treasurers, other administrations, military, leaders of tribes. Um, it It's... It shows up in very interesting circumstances. Uh, one of the very interesting ones is First Samuel uh, twenty-two seven, when Saul asked Benjamin if David will give them fields and vineyards and make them commanders of thousands and hundreds. Um, which is, he's literally saying to Benjamin, "Are you, are you going to replace um, the stars of heaven?" Um, which is exactly what you would have expected Saul to say, because Saul, of course, is a picture of the prince that is currently ruling this, this whole system, and he's literally having a discourse with the rest of them about, hey, do you want to keep these seats, or do you want to turn them over to someone else? I mean, there's just so many interesting references. Uh, the Song of Deborah and Barak. Um, First Samuel eight twelve, the warning against the king. Um, it's it just it's all it's all throughout here and and many key points. Uh, Jeremiah thirty four nineteen um, literally makes a reference to preceding chapters where we're covenant with Abram and it talks about passing between the 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 animal 
and that uh, the people would be food for the birds. Um, Luke 22.4, Judas uh, working with the chief priest and the officers to betray the Christ. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's this, this word, this, this form, this version of Sarai is used to talk about uh, orders, well, order and organization, and it's very prophetic about uh, having to do with the 24 elders, as best as best I can tell. Well, this is why it comes up in, well, concerning Asaph. Uh, when you go to uh, all the information contained about Asaph, which is um, no one has ever operated underneath the auspices that he did. And I mean absolutely no one. But when we go there, uh, we'll read from the New American Standard Bible. Moreover, David and the commanders, yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's Sarai, of the army set apart for the service some of the sons of Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun, now, who were to prophesy with lyres, harps, cymbals, and the number of those who performed their service was the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, Asherilah, the sons of Asaph, were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. Now, <clears throat> prophetically speaking, of course, this is uh, mimicking, and you have to come to grips with this, that the group in Revelation chapter 14, they plainly sing a new song. And there is no doubt that Asaph uh, was set apart for this very, very thing. How can you prophesy with a lyre and a harp and a cymbal? And how can you prophesy under orders from the king? So there is no doubt, Ben, that the reason why these two verses are here is that you may not ever be able to sing the song that the 144,000 that will ascend to Mount Zion will sing, but at least you know who wrote the tune. Amen. So, you saying that uh, this always comes up, it's always encoded right where it should be, is an understatement of, well, biblical proportions, <laughs> actually. Um, and it's important that people see that. They can lock a hold of that. They can look at the Hebrew to see that exact spelling, realizes that it's had jots and tittles applied to it to separate it in the Strong's numbers. When those jots and tittles are not in the Scripture, even though God does utilize that with biblical mechanics, no doubt about it, but you must first realize that Hebrew is purely a prophetic language, absolutely lacking in vowels, because God took them. So, this is really uh, good stuff. It's really prophetic, everything that is about to unfold here in this chapter. Now, with that in mind, <laughs> uh, 
thing, other things are going to begin to happen. And other things are going to take place. Because we're just getting started in this chapter. And uh, it's pretty amazing what unfolds. And we have a pretty good grip of what's going on so far. No doubt about it. Amen. And I'll just uh, give the, some references to the listener if you want to track some of this down. Um, and by the way, it is it also happens in the Greek, and I'll, I'll reference one of them that's rather important in a second. But the references in the Hebrew, there's 33 of them, but Genesis 16, 1, Exodus 18, 21, uh, 1825, Numbers 2317, 3114, Numbers 3148, Deuteronomy 115, Judges 515, 1 Samuel 812, 1 Samuel 227, 2 Samuel 181, 2 Samuel 244, 1 Kings 922, 2 Kings 2526, 1 Chronicles 1525, 1 Chronicles 245, 1 Chronicles 251. First Chronicles twenty six twenty six, First Chronicles twenty seven one, First Chronicles twenty eight one, First Chronicles twenty nine six, Second Chronicles eight nine, Second Chronicles twelve five, Ezra eight twenty nine, Esther one three, Esther eight nine, Jeremiah thirty four nineteen, Luke twenty two four, Luke twenty two fifty two, Acts nineteen thirty eight, Acts twenty one thirty two. Acts 25:23 and Revelation 6:15. Now, when you do that in the um, Greek, uh, there's actually a total of seven matches, which makes perfect sense because you should be expecting to see some multiple of seven uh, somewhere here, right? Because we've got seven churches, um, and you have. Uh, Many of those are in Genesis 16. Um, the one thing I did want to point out here is Hagar. Um, that word, many times it's translated to mean sojourner. Um, when, you, when you look up the references for her name, it, many times that's how it's translated. And, uh, you know, we're dealing with this right now. Um, this week we found out that there was a seven-year-old girl that um, had dehydrated on the border and um, had died. And the administration came out and said, well, why did her father uh, take her on this terrible journey and subject her to that? I mean, there is some truth to that, I guess you could say, but at the same time, uh, I think the fact that he took her on the journey speaks for itself. Um, the conditions in the many of those countries that these people are fleeing are horrible. His daughter at seven is just a few years away from being at an age where men would want to use her for her body. And if he had sons, they would want to use them to engage in the drug trade. And people are literally in this situation today. Um, we're seeing it in Deuteronomy 10:19. Love the sojourner for you were a sojourner in Egypt. Um, that's literally a commandment that we we're supposed to keep. And yet 
we look at the sojourner and we're worried about if they have diseases or what they're going to do to us. And some of that perhaps might be warranted, but ladies and gentlemen, if you think that you have what you have because of anything that you've done, you're mistaken. Absolutely. And you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. I'm going to bring up another word in the Hebrew here that is used. New American Standard Bible. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. <clears throat> now, ladies and gentlemen, that has a prefix on it that might catch you by surprise. And that prefix tov is pretty important. It literally, ladies and gentlemen, will take you places that you don't want it to go. Um, and we're going to go there right now to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, and you'll be able to see this is absolute biblical mechanics in its implementation. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer, ding, 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 right there the Hebrew is this word, ana, with a prefix tov, with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, you realize that Sarah did not send her away, Ben. Hagar fled. Amen. Now, people might take umbrage with, uh, well, other places in the Hebrew New Testament this is contained, because it's right here. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Is that taking everybody by surprise? It should. It should. But there it is to bear false witness. So, you could look prophetically at just exactly um, what Sarai must have been doing to make Hagar flee... You could do that, no doubt about it. We're not going to. But I'm just letting you know that this has everything to do with the promise as plainly stated in Romans eight seventeen. Amen. So her fleeing, Ben, is pretty important. Because, well, we're going to flee as well, are we not? Amen. Amen. And and he made an important point there about suffering uh, being a prerequisite to what was going to come next. So if you're if you're fleeing the suffering, um, that is pretty important. Well, massively important uh, because I mean, here I'll read it again. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Any questions? No questions at all. Uh, it's absolutely prerequisite. Absolutely prerequisite. So, 
this is a very prophetic way of God telling you that, oh, we're not done with the seed from Abraham's body. And God don't give a flying grip who the mother was. Amen. And you're about to get that full volume here in a second. That's for sure. So back to you, Ben. Well, one other reference I want to uh, point out to the spelling of Hagar's name in the New Testament, Galatians 4, um, starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Well, Ben, this this goes right back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. Okay, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And, well, you stated it most appropriately with the scripture verses that you read there. But just take note. <laughs> this promise is threefold. It's threefold. Now, we don't know who the third one is yet, but we will. So, we have issuance from his body, from Sarai, Hagar, and a third, as yet unnamed, facilitator of the promise. So, your thoughts, Ben? Um, that that scripture reference that you read, it was designed quite perfectly so that you would well understand the distinction and the simple fact that there's going to be a group that is different in their role in the facilitation of the promise, but yet the promise of the issuance from his own body remains. And everything you read reminded me of one phrase. I mean, it was screaming 
a phrase you get from Revelation chapter 12, the rest of her children. I mean, as you read that entire group of verses there, I couldn't get it off my mind. The rest of her children. Your thoughts. Amen. And I, you know, when it when it says that the children of the desolate will be more than the children of uh, those who has a husband, um, you know, that's that's screaming First Samuel, the first three chapters, uh, the whole Elkanah, the whole discourse between him and his wife as they would go up every year and and. The, the other wife would afflict her because she was barren. And he would say, am I not better to you than 10 sons? And it's, it's, <laughs> it's talking about the exact same thing. Uh, and, you know, encoded, not to get too technical, folks, but if you track down in particular the references that I gave you earlier in Chronicles, um, you're going to see all the different divisions, the priestly divisions, 24 Levitical divisions, 24 chief musical uh, uh, musicians, um, actually 24 divisions of 12, which is 288. So, you know, if we've got 144, where's the other 144? 24 gatekeepers. Uh, we've got 12 divisions of 24 soldiers, 288 again. So he's hinting at you all the time that that you're only seeing one half of this equation. You, you know about the 144, but where's the, where's the other half? Right, and literally he's prophetically telling you in more ways than one the circle of the earth. There's actually 432 degrees in the earth, ladies and gentlemen, and, well, one-third of it is 144, and two-thirds of it, that's right, 288. And Right. Go ahead, I'm sorry. That's just amazing in of itself. Go ahead. No, he's just, I mean, he didn't come out and talk about the, uh, about the children of the stars, but all of these references to Sarai with, with this particular spelling point it out very clearly. Uh, probably the most, the one that screams the, the absolute loudest is again, when Saul asked the tribe of Benjamin if David will give them fields and vineyards and make them commanders of thousands and hundreds. I mean, if there was ever any question in your mind what the current uh, 24 elders are up to, the princes that are governing this place, what their agenda is, it's, it's very clear when you look at that particular verse, what they're up to and what the whole problem is. Because Adam was removed from his place, which meant that someone else got a promotion. And when that one got a promotion, um, in order for Adam's seed, or the seed of the woman, in order for that to take its rightful spot, that meant it was a temporary promotion. And nobody wants a temporary promotion, do they, Matthew? Oh, no, nothing is more despised than that. And that's a fact. That is a fact. Nothing is more despised than that. And isn't it interesting that this comes up so often around the time when a woman will leave the office to go and she'll take, you know, maternity leave, right? 
I've seen and then it. There's, I've seen <laughs> it more times than once. Right. And then you have all that consternation about whether or not she's going to come back. And some of them fall in love with the one that takes her place because, wow, they, they've just made her job a whole lot easier. Or they like the way this one does this or does that. And there's all sorts of consternation about her coming back to work. Amen? And it usually comes to a head in about three weeks before a breaking point is entered. I mean, And I know this from, well, experience. So, absolutely. So, it's not explicitly stated in these opening uh Verses, but if you track down the references to that name, you, I mean, you, you just read the very first word, and you're looking at it. You're looking at the rest of that equation because, as Matthew said so eloquently, you've got 144, you've got the 288, and you've got the 432. Only happens one way. And we need to point out too that. All your references there to officers, to positions. Ladies and gentlemen, you better get this through your head real quick. Any officers in the kingdom of heaven is not a part of the congregation. They serve the congregation to one extent or another. Now, here we have the the parent prophecy once again engaging just like a clock and all the gir- all the gears working together. You cannot escape this fact. Some of those working will be in the heavens. Some of those working will be on the ground. And they Amen. are not a part of, well, the bride. They're not a part of the bride. Now, now let me make sure you all understand this. You... You all know this, common knowledge. You're not going to have a job when Jesus gets back. Well, I hate to tell you. Um, he is going to rule with a rod of iron. Uh, those that get sealed by God in Revelation chapter 7 and are beheaded because they won't take the mark of the beast, they have jobs. You don't. You don't necessarily have to like that. They are not a part of the bride. They secure the bride. You can look at them as the royal guard, no doubt about it. But they are not bridal in their gender. Not at all. They're not bridal at all in in their gender. And as a matter of fact, both of those that are counted, the 144... The second 144, which, by the way, equals 288. The Bible goes way out of your way to tell you they are male. Therefore, they cannot be the woman. Therefore, if they are not the woman, they cannot ever be considered as the bride. And it's another prophetic way God is telling you these things. He does it eight ways to Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. He's telling you, well, alphanumerically, which we haven't talked about. He's telling you numerically with the 144 and the 288 and the one-third of the stars in the heavens. He's telling you linguistically. 
he is also telling you by way of gender. Because when God speaks, it's true. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when God speaks, you, you just have to come to grips with the simple fact that he's saying way more than you or I have the capacity to understand. So, uh, off the charts, Ben. Off the charts, what you just pointed out. All right, so do we want to go to this next stanza? I mean, Absolutely. we could spend the whole night. We could spend all night just going over this, and we could go into a whole bunch of technical data. But I, I fear we would lose some listeners if we did. So maybe we should just jump on here and start at verse seven. Yes, let's uh, okay. let's go ahead and do that. All right. So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Well, that is prophecy indeed, uh, especially when you take the etymology there of Ishmael. It means whom God hears. And right here, he's setting up the perfect machination for what is to come, for, well, the reason why there's got to be administrators in the kingdom of heaven when Christ gets back to earth and sets it up. Because right here you've got it full mill deal, and you realize that, well, there must be one-third in the heavens, and the one-third on the earth is going to be taking direct orders thereof. And it's prophetically uh, encoded right here, well, ladies and gentlemen, the best description of verse 12 is what has long been known for centuries now as a crusader. Ben, your thoughts? Well, I find it interesting that um, before we get the promise, we have a child in the wilderness. People love to say bad things about Ishmael, but I'm taking a different point here and, and simply saying, where was John the Baptist? Wasn't he in the wilderness? And then after we got John the Baptist, didn't we get the, uh, the fulfillment of the promise that the angels came and, and sang about to the shepherds? And, but first you had a child that, that was, you know, destined to wander the wilderness. And that's literally what you see here with Ishmael. He's fulfilling a very important role. Um, he, there's often lots of consternation, but this is there's a whole lot more to Ishmael people than than all that negativity. That's right, and um, you know, just uh, just take note that 
Well, the follow-up verses to what you just read, you know, the rest of the chapter really hits the nail right on the head. Um, the simple fact that her children will be the ones, well, watching over us. And uh, it's just absolutely amazing. Ben, it's absolutely amazing. Um, the prophetic nature the next few verses, uh, it's absolutely off the charts. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, this description that we give, uh, that we are given here, um, you know, the simple fact that his role is obviously going to facilitate um, giving heed to someone's affliction, verse 11. Uh and you know what? Let me say that. The only people I've ever heard talk bad about Ishmael are actually crusaders, as a matter of fact. Um, and I find that comical uh, at best, but truly sad at its worst. The people just do not understand, like I said, their place uh, in the body of Christ, their their place in the bridal procession. Um, very saddening, but... You can certainly offer further commentary on the verses that you read, Ben. Well, uh, uh, verse 12, as you said, and he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. I mean, that is that is a um, a literal dwell, dwelling over. <laughs> it's That's very a, literal. Uh, yeah, it's extremely literal. And the simple fact that what did Jesus ride into uh, Jerusalem for the triumphal entry? Amen. I, I mean, he had to do that. Look, there had to be a beast of burden to bring him in, right? That, uh, and that's not – look, Ben, are you trying to say – now look, what I'm going to ask you, weigh very heavily before you answer. Is this a curse or a blessing that God proclaimed? <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> um, well, perhaps you shouldn't answer. I'll answer it for you. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. this is a blessing, okay? Why, I'll read it to you again. The Lord has given heed to your affliction. So be very careful what you say about the words following it. There's nothing wrong with being a wild donkey of a man. There's nothing wrong with being the one that the Lord rides upon. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing bad about this. But for some reason, uh, the modern church thinks that God cursed Hagar. No, He didn't. No, He did not. He certainly made a distinction. And that's just about all I need to say because uh, the Lord comes right out and says he will live. Amen. So I'm glad I stopped you, Ben, because I don't know what was what you were contemplating there. But I straightened your kinks out if you had any. This <laughs> well, is you've a, been doing that for years now. <laughs> this is a blessing. It's not a curse. Amen. God blessed her. He did not curse her. It's Amen. just 
It's just hard for us to understand. We, it, it, it's hard for us to understand why it is that these people, okay, they refuse the mark of the beast, right? And they get beheaded, but they don't get to be a part of the bride. They do not get to partake in the wedding. But then somebody has to be, I mean, somebody's got to, I, I mean, have you ever been to a wedding banquet? There's got to be servers, yeah. Ben. Somebody's got to make yep. the food. Yep. Somebody has to greet the guest at the door. Somebody has to take coats. Oh, for Pete's sake. Somebody has to set up the whole thing. they got to set the, the tables up, the chairs. Play the music and exactly. uh, host the event and do all those things. And, and usually people who do those things actually love it. And get paid for it. Amen. 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 Well, how about this? Uh, verse 7. Here again, we have a woman um, in the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord's out there with her. Well, haven't we talked about that before? Haven't we seen that before? Um, is that or is that not isochronal? Yes, that's, a, that's the only way to define it, is isochronal in nature. This is isochronology playing out. So, if you say that the one in the wilderness is bad, you got to say they're all bad. Amen. What's going on here is not, and you get it. I mean, you're about ready to, to like I said, the the final verses top it off about Amen. exactly what this child is going to do. But so let's go ahead and finish it up. Okay. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Well, she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you better get back and boy, you better you better brace for impact. Now, so far we're dealing with Sarai and Abram, but their names were going to be changed. But this secret part of the promise, no one's ever told you about, have they? That before they got renamed, the Lord thy God got renamed. You didn't see that coming? You didn't see, you weren't able to perceive one of the reasons why Sarai and Abram get renamed is because Hagar was blessed by the Lord and she renamed him. Now, I take note that this has everything to do with the well. Let's call it a depression. And prophetically, you'll be able to extend this out to where Daniel was thrown. Well, more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about where Jer Jeremiah was placed. And take note. Jeremiah lived. Daniel lived. No, I'll give you one better. Let's, let's just put the cherry on top. Christ did not, I repeat, he did not stay in that depression. Amen. And you can plainly see 
that there were two angels there that must have facilitated that. One rolled the stone away. Of course, I, my son, has did a program on that. The angel of the Lord and the angel of the Christ. They're there. The Exodus angel and the resurrection angel. They're there. So marvel at that, ladies and gentlemen. Marvel at that, that you didn't see that part of the promise before now, did you? Hagar, no, she didn't have her name changed. Oh, no, she changed the Lord's name. And why? What does it mean? I mean, we just talked about the word to hear, didn't we? Now it's to see. So, it's obvious that her child <laughs> will be the one watching over us in the kingdom of heaven. Now that means, well, a whole lot of things, but first and foremost, it means this. They're going to have a job. Ben, back to you. That was really cool what you what you just shared. Um, and what a blessing for Hagar. I mean, she called on the name of the Lord and she named him as you as you said. I mean <laughs> that's I mean I'm trying to think of how to say that. You know, I I've got a I've got a buddy that I, I play soccer with and um I've got a nickname for him because of how he plays. <laughs> you know, when when you have a personal relationship with someone you usually have another name by which you know that person. Um, make no mistake that this is this is um, memorializing a condition of the relationship that Hagar uh, had with the Lord. Because everyone loves to talk about her being the Egyptian, but she was bestowed a amazing blessing as Matthew just said. And she had a very personal relationship with God, the father through this very, uh, sequence of events. Well, a man with the names. I mean, it's named Ishmael literally means ladies and gentlemen, God hears, he hears, and the name that she gave the Lord was one who sees, and it is required, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. That means you have to have a job. <laughs> Look, the only thing I have to say about this Genesis chapter 16 is, Amen, Alleluia. Amen. I mean, in the natural, uh, you really couldn't think of a more uh, trying situation in a in a household. And yet the Lord, you put him in any situation and none plus one equals eternity. Amen. Amen and amen. None plus one equals eternity. A amen. And by extrapolation, none plus one equals infinity.
Amen. I mean, imagine if you're Abram in this situation. This child gets this promise. The angel of the Lord deals with this entire situation. And you, you, you know, in life we're tested. <laughs> we're tested. And our job sometimes is just to sit back and to say, hey, the Lord's going to handle this. I don't know how he's going to handle it, but he's going to handle it. I mean, in the New Testament, they, they literally, are you going to pay the tax? And he tells them, go, go uh, get that fish, and you're going to find a coin in it. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, the things that the Lord will do in your life, you know, some people say that miracles are dead. The only thing dead is your Bible if you don't bother to open it. And the reason we open our Bible is to build up our faith so that we can actually have real life experiences with the one that we're in love with. We're in love with the Christ and we have a very personal relationship with him and it manifests itself Day after day after day, we don't live on bread alone, but by every single word that proceeds out of his mouth. And he, he divides the seas. He, he has very personal things that he will do in your life. Very personal things that he will appoint for you. And our job is just to be faithful and, and wait on the Lord at times. And other times, it's our our job to suffer, and in all things, we are to praise him and to speak his holy name. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Amen and amen. You know, Ben, my, my closing comments are thus. Oh, my goodness, the things said of this child in Genesis chapter 17 is absolutely off the hook. Um, what God states about Ishmael, it's, wow, it's absolutely off the charts. So I can't wait for the next one. Ben, your closing comments. Amen. Um, I appreciate the listener taking the time to listen. We really have not even scratched the surface with everything that is here in Genesis 16. Um, if you have the time, just take out some of the words, just read it through the chapter. Identify some of the words that stick out in your in your conscience as you're reading it, and then just just go and track those words down. Track them down the roots, track down them in the original Hebrew, and if you're feeling adventurous, do it in the Greek. There is so much here. We could spend we could do this this chapter and not be done with it until February, but we just that's not what we've been called to do. Um but we, um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, love everybody. And uh, until next time, God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have much to consider tonight. Why did you not know that the, net, that the Lord your God had been renamed before Sarai and Abram? Adventures in Isochronology. Signing off.